Welcome to RCV Clips, short recordings and interviews designed to introduce listeners to helpful tools and brief explanations about ranked choice voting and how this voting method works. These clips are produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, a compilation of best practices and first-hand experiences from jurisdictions that have used ranked choice voting, also known as RCV. The website, www.rankedchoicevoting.org, and the overall project serve as resources for election administrators, voters, policymakers, candidates, and for anyone who wants to learn more about ranked choice voting. We are not advocacy-focused. Rather, we aim to provide resources that allow jurisdictions to implement RCV effectively and efficiently. The RCV Resource Center team is comprised of former election administrators who have conducted statewide, municipal, and district RCV elections. Welcome to the December 2018 episode of RCV Clips. I'm Chris Hughes, staff attorney at FairVote and liaison to the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Today, I will be talking with Stephen John Mulroy, law professor at the University of Memphis and former Shelby County Commissioner. Steve has championed instant runoff voting in Memphis, Tennessee, from campaigning for its passage in 2008 up to working to prevent a repeal this fall. As a law professor and former attorney with the Department of Justice, he has a keen legal understanding of the voting method and some of the legal goings-on in Memphis, so we thought it would be a good time to catch up with him about how things are unfolding in the birthplace of rock and roll and home of the blues. As a note to our listeners, this podcast will reference instant runoff voting, which we call single-winner ranked choice voting. Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us today for the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to have you. So mm-hmm. uh, can you just set the stage for our listeners about how Memphis came to pass IRV instant runoff voting back in 2008 and, and what happened next? Sure. Well, back in 2008, there was a charter commission that had been formed for a very variety of reasons. And uh, we group of us local activists who were interested in ranked choice voting uh, pitched to them the idea of adopting instant runoff voting for city council races in really all races, all nonpartisan municipal elections in Memphis, Tennessee. The Charter Commission unanimously adopted it, put it on the ballot, and then in a referendum campaign, um, Memphians uh, adopted it by referendum over 70%. And it was originally scheduled to be implemented the next city election, which would have been in 2011. However, in the interim, there was a a change in composition of the uh, election commission. A new election administrator took over locally, took the position that the voting machines that we had weren't compatible with instant runoff voting. Now, that was not correct, uh, but uh, he held to that view for many years. There were many years Mm -hmm. of fighting over it. Eventually, a new election administrator came in, admitted that there was nothing wrong with the voting machines, that we could have been implementing IRV, instant runoff voting, all the time. And so then scheduled to uh, finally implement instant runoff voting in the 2019 municipal elections. That was back in 2017 when the election administrator made that announcement. As soon as she did, the incumbents on the city council decided that they needed to try a repeal effort. And that was why we had to fight the repeal battle this year. It's a a long, uh, strange journey you've been on. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, So could you talk a bit more about the repeal effort this fall, the work you did and, and the work that was done on the ground in Memphis? Sure. Well, the city council in its wisdom, adopted not one but two different repeal referenda 
one would have uh, repealed instant runoff voting and gone back to the prior system where we would have a, a second runoff election uh, if there was uh, no majority winner in the first round. And those uh, runoff elections typically had abysmal turnout, about 5% uh, turnout. <clears throat> disproportionately white affluent political insiders in that 5%. The second uh, repeal attempt would have been a different referendum that would have, if passed, replaced instant runoff voting by just saying that a straight plurality vote would suffice so that you didn't need a majority to win. So if it was a crowded field of candidates, you could win with, you know, 25 or 30% of the vote. Uh, if you're wondering... Uh, if those two different repeal referenda are contradictory, uh, the answer is yes, they were. Uh, they never really did explain, you know, what would have happened had both passed, uh, but they didn't really think it through very well. So we formed a Save IRV Memphis, which is a grassroots advocacy group, and uh, went into campaign mode. And with the help of outside organizations like Fair Vote and Represent Us and, and others, uh, we waged a referendum campaign. <laughs> um, and it had its ups and downs over the time. Um, at one point, the uh, city council uh, in the last few weeks of the campaign authorized $40,000 in taxpayer funds for them to do their own vote yes on repeal campaign. We took them to court over it. Um, there were a, a number of different you know, legal wranglings uh, in the last six weeks of the campaign. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, Memphis voters decisively rejected the repeal efforts, uh, saying by a vote of 63% against the referendum that would have gone back to two round runoff elections and 54% against uh, just going to straight plurality. So when the dust settled on November 6th, Memphis voters had once again voted uh, saying we meant what we said back in 2008. We mm -hmm. want instant runoff voting. Right. Well, and you, so you just covered a bit of this, but can you talk a bit about the legal questions sparked by the steps to implement ranked choice voting in Memphis uh, and do the, due to the repeal effort, the fights about ballot language and or, or ballot oh. design and, and those, that sort of stuff? You know, I'd mentioned that there were a number of different legal disputes in the last six weeks of the campaign. Um, one of them I had already mentioned was whether it was legal for the city council to spend taxpayer dollars on a, on a one-sided advocacy campaign telling voters to vote yes on a repeal. Um, the other was the fact that the ballot language that the Memphis City Council had chosen was misleading, and uh, I believe deliberately so. So, um, for example, the, the referendum that would have replaced instant runoff voting by going back to runoff elections, did not specify um, that that would cost extra money because we'd have to spend money on a second round of elections. And there's a state law provision that says that on the face of the ballot itself in any referendum, you have to provide a neutral estimate of what the fiscal impact would be. Now, back in 2008, when we first passed instant runoff voting, the city complied with that state law and put language on the ballot which certified that by getting rid of the second round runoff elections, we would be saving Memphis taxpayers about a quarter million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. By that same logic, by repealing that and going back to that uh, old system, 
you would think that it would be costing roughly a quarter million dollars a year or at least something in that ballpark. But instead, they just wrote some boilerplate language saying, oh, it's impossible to estimate. So apparently it was possible to estimate the fiscal impact back in 2008 when we adopted instant runoff voting, but not in 2018 when we were trying to repeal it. <clears throat> so we challenged the misleading nature of that ballot language. We also challenged the fact that the second and third referendum, the two IRV referenda I've been telling you about, were uh, contradictory, and that would add to voter confusion. And the judge didn't say we were wrong, but the judge just said that um, he thought the case wasn't ripe, which is a legal term, mm -hmm. meaning that the lawsuit's premature. Uh, his view was that we should wait until after the election results to see what happened, and then um, depending on what happened, we might need to challenge the election results. I'm not sure that really makes sense as a legal matter, but in the end of the at the end of the day, it didn't really matter because since we won the election, you know, that legal question is now moot. Well, and now, I don't know how much you can get into this right now, given that the case is ongoing, but there's, or you're, you're contending with some issues from the Secretary of State's office where they've said yes. Yes. that ranked choice voting might not comply with state law. So can you talk a bit about that too? Yes, yes. And, and I, I just want to make sure the listeners understand that whenever yeah. you try something as radical as ranked choice voting, um, the, the powers that be, you know, the defenders of the status quo um, are going to rally and do everything they can to put up roadblocks towards implementation. You know, we saw that in, in Santa Fe. We saw that in Maine. And we've been seeing it in spades uh, in Memphis over the last 10 to 11 years. So in addition to the local election administrator's original um, bogus claim, that the voting machines wouldn't work, uh, in addition to the city council's attempt to repeal. Yet another front is the state coordinator of elections, who um, opined in a letter uh, last November, November 2017, that uh, there, were, there were some problems with instant runoff voting's legality under the Tennessee Election Code. Now, we did our own legal analysis at that time with our own law firm, and uh, came to the conclusion that those arguments were strained at best and there really was no actual conflict with Tennessee election law. Um, but <clears throat> since the state coordinator of elections basically supervises the local election commission, um, and it's the local election commission that would implement instant runoff voting, we have to get this legal question resolved before we can actually pull the trigger on implementing instant runoff voting in the next regularly scheduled city election, which is October 2019. So as a result, uh, what we've been forced to do is file a lawsuit, which we filed shortly after uh, the November 6th referendum election, uh, in which we've sued the state coordinator of elections and are asking in state court and are asking for a declaratory judgment that IRV is legal under Tennessee law and an injunction ordering the local election commission to finally implement it uh, in the October 2019 elections. And we're fortunate to have the pro bono legal assistance of the DC-based law firm Hogan Lovells, um, a team of uh, great lawyers who um, have been helping us out with this, as well as some local counsel in Nashville uh, who are helping out pro bono, and Nashville is where the lawsuit's been filed. Interesting. So when, 
how long of the t- of a timeline do we expect to have on that case? When when do we expect resolution? Well, we intend to make sure the court is well aware of the fact that under the terms of the law, as um, several times ratified by Memphis voters, this is a legal requirement that the local election commission implement instant runoff voting by October 2019, which is the next regularly scheduled city election. So in order to have this resolved sufficiently in advance of next October so that we can actually do a good job of uh, implementing IRV, we're going to need to have this legal question resolved in the next few months. So we're hoping that by uh, late spring, early summer of next year, uh, the legal wrangling will be over. Uh, the question of IRV's Tennessee law legality will be resolved. And not good if all goes well, we'll be able to begin the process of voter education, um, getting them ready for the first ever ranked choice voting election in Tennessee next October. That would be exciting. Hopefully, hopefully well, we can move forward on that. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm I'm very much looking forward to the period of time in which we can stop the fighting over whether we should use um, mm-hmm. IRV. I, I, I think we effectively we resolved that question back in 2008, and everything since then has just been uh, status quo obstruction. I'd like to get past all this wrangling and get to the more constructive phase where we assist the election commission in uh, going around and educating local right. voters about how ranked choice voting works, you know, how it is the ballot's going to look, you know, how how it is that they should approach the election, and then also educating candidates about, you know, what the effective ways of uh, campaigning are under ranked choice voting. As you know, you know, it's a different dynamic campaign-wise under ranked choice voting, a better one, a more positive one. And, um, you know, I would love to get to the point where we can start educating candidates and voters on, on, on how this works and, and why it's beneficial. And I know, you know, there's other cities like Memphis, so Sarasota, Ferndale, Michigan, um, and formerly Santa Fe that passed ranked choice voting a decade or more ago and are finally now gearing up to implement also. And like Santa Fe, you know, they, they finally implemented in March and Memphis hopefully will be implementing next year. And with any luck, Ferndale and Sarasota will come soon after that. But it, I'm sure all the advocates in those cities, too, are excited to do the thing they wanted to do, which is teach voters about this method and, and see this change in their communities. You're absolutely right. And, you know, it is extremely frustrating to have such a long lag time between adoption and implementation. But really, when you think about it, maybe it isn't all that surprising, because as I mentioned earlier, ranked choice voting is such a fundamental structural election reform that it can be seen as threatening to incumbent politicians and election officials, you know, the powers that be that protect the status quo. And so they'll often use all the lovers of power at their disposal to obstruct and delay implementation. And we've seen that, as you've already mentioned, Ferndale, Sarasota, Santa Fe, and unfortunately for me, over these last 10 years in Memphis. But I'm relatively... um, cautiously optimistic here that we will be able to implement next year and that once we do, it'll be a smooth implementation and uh, all those officials and other skeptics and people on the opposition 
we'll see that the, the sky doesn't fall, the republic doesn't uh, doesn't fold, and that the the bad things that they you know fear either sincerely or just because they use it as an argument about ranked choice voting won't come to pass. There won't be massive voter confusion. There won't be election administrative problems. There won't be any of the other boogeymen that opponents like to throw up. And, you know, if we have actual successful implementation, uh, that will help allay those concerns, make ranked choice voting, you know, normal, not something to fear, and also set the stage for adoption in other cities. You know, we've already got significant expressions of interest in Nashville and Knoxville about mm. adoption of ranked choice voting. And, you know, every time ranked choice voting is successfully adopted and implemented anywhere, it helps to reinforce uh, the cause everywhere. So, you know, we've, we have been uh, cheered by the success in Santa Fe, and we're hoping that Knoxville or Nashville or other places around the country will one day be uh, cheered by our success. Let's hope. So I have one last question for you. Um, a bit related to this question of how how you challenge the status quo. You wrote a blog back in September that by not going forward with instant runoff voting and sticking with this two-round runoff system currently used in Memphis, that uh, this keeps turnout in Memphis depressed, especially in those runoffs and especially among um, African-American poor and, and voters with disabilities. Right. So... Um, you referenced the runoff elections also as like voter suppression tools. Can you explain a bit about how you've come to that conclusion and how that impacts election administration and how that affects your work? Sure, sure. Yeah, so, you know, before I became a, a law professor who writes and teaches in the area of election law, I was a Department of Justice Civil Rights Division attorney working in the voting section in Washington, D.C. throughout the 1990s, where, you know, we litigated minority vote dilution and vote suppression cases. And, you know, the the old-fashioned runoff elections that we have here in Memphis are a classic example of that kind of voter suppression. You know, we've taken a look at the data quite carefully, and the um, turnout drops dramatically between the first-round election and the runoff. But that drop-off in turnout is disproportionately among voters of color, low-income voters, and uh, disabled voters. And this really shouldn't be a surprise because if it's a specific example of a larger phenomenon that we're all familiar with, whenever you make it more inconvenient to vote, whenever you erect barriers to voting, whether it's a photo ID requirement or cutting back on early uh, voting or, you know, making having fewer polling places or in this case, having to force people to go back to the polls a second time when one time ought to be sufficient. Whenever you do those things, Turnout drops across the board, sure, but it particularly drops off among the more vulnerable populations, the people who are mobility impaired, transportation uh, challenged, the people with uh, fewer access to information. You know, the poor minorities and the disabled are going to be the ones who uh, end up getting disproportionately uh, pushed out of the system and out of the, out of the rolls on election day. And uh, these runoff elections are another example of that. And, you know, although the situation is particularly dire in Memphis, our runoff participation rate of 5% is one of the lowest in the country. This phenomenon is not unique to Memphis. Everywhere across the country where you have to force people into a runoff election, the turnout will drop 
and the turnout will drop particularly badly among those vulnerable populations. So if you're looking at it from a Voting Rights Act perspective or a minority voter suppression perspective, uh, you really ought to be for infant runoff voting because it avoids that drop-off in turnout, that disproportionate drop-off in uh, turnout. Um, and one of the ironies of the 2018 Memphis campaign was that since Memphis is a majority black city, um, a lot of African-American incumbent officials who, you know, in my view, were clearly motivated by incumbency protection, um, one of the arguments they tried to use in favor of repeal was that in some way, shape, or form, um, instant runoff voting would hurt African-American voting power. I, th I think their theory was, they never quite articulated it clearly, but I think their theory was is that black voters were going to be more likely to be confused by having to rank their first, second, and third uh, choices. Uh, when in reality, of course, it was just the opposite, that by returning to a two-round runoff system, that was going to actually depress uh, the ability of American voters to influence the election for the reasons that I just described. Well, that that was really helpful. So thanks for walking through that. And I know the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center has been thinking a lot about how we can work with officials in cities and states where they still are using runoffs and, and talk to them about ranked choice voting. You know, it's used for military and overseas voters, too, in, in some southern states mm -hmm. to help them participate in runoffs. And, and it's clearly responding to this uh, the just the drop off in participation you get in these runoffs, uh, right. so it make it just makes sense to expand that sort of thing out citywide or statewide where possible. Absolutely, where wherever using runoff elections, um, IRV is a very easy uh, sell because it saves time, it saves hassle, it saves money because you don't have to pay for a second election, and it increases turnout across the board, and particularly among the vulnerable populations that we just discussed. So where there already are runoff elections, it seems to me that the uh, advantages are obvious, as you just mentioned. Where there are not runoff elections and when they're, where they're just using a straight plurality system, IRV is still a great idea, but the argument for it, it's, it's a little more subtle. Um, you have to explain about vote splitting and about how, mm -hmm. you know, if... Uh, three or more candidates, all supported generally by the majority, run and split that vote, then some candidate could sneak by who with, you know, 20, 30, 40% of the vote and get elected, even though that candidate may be the least preferred of the majority, but the majority just split their vote among similar candidates. And we see that happening all the time. Uh, and you can definitely lead to non-majoritarian uh, outcomes where, you know, mm -hmm. extremist candidates who are not well liked by the majority end up getting uh, getting power. And you know, we, we, of course, we saw that in Maine, where Governor uh, Paul LePage got uh, elected twice um, with less than 50% of the vote because the alternatives to him, the more moderate or left-leaning voters, split their vote among several candidates. And so even though 63% or more of Maine voters in that first election would have said anybody but Paul LePage, Paul LePage ended up winning. And it was that precise voting dynamic, I think, that was the big motivator for Maine voters to do their statewide referendum and adopt 
uh, ranked choice voting uh, statewide for federal elections. Right. Well, and, you know, in just this fall's elections, Ballotpedia put out a list of 130 races at the state legislative or at the congressional level where no one won a majority because there were these vote splits between uh, independents and third parties and, and the left-leaning voters, or not even necessarily left, the left or right-leaning voters in a state. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, uh, I'll leave it there. Thank you so much for, for getting on today. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today for our December RCV clip. This is a monthly segment produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast too. Our theme music is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Chris Hughes on behalf of Karen Brinson-Bell and the rest of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.